Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go, Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad is taking the day off. He heard that there was going to be a massive snowstorm making its way into Mississippi, and so this was a day in which he had to make all the uh, necessary preparations. Had to make sure that the um, the sled, like the disc sled, like the one from uh, from Christmas Vacation, Christmas Vacation, yeah, was polished up with that stuff on it that makes it go super fast. Had to pull the old sled out, get the uh, runners waxed up. So he is uh, preparing for s- s- Snowpocalypse 2019. I have no idea what Brian Haydad's actually doing today. I do know that he's off, and we will uh, rejoin Brian Haydad tomorrow. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, and you. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you are toying with the idea of buying a piece of property, or maybe it's far more serious than toying, you are getting ready to buy a piece of property, well, check in with the folks at Mississippi Land Bank because, well, they finance land. It's what they do. It's what they've been doing for a long, long time, over 100 years. They understand the land financing business, and uh, you can find a branch location near you if you are in North Mississippi on their website, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Fellas, what's up? Borky, how was your weekend? Winter is coming. That's how my weekend was. I was battening down the hatchets and getting my bread and milk sandwiches I'm sorry, ready the hatchets? to go. And... Were you, like, chopping wood? Yeah, so I could burn it in the fire once the power goes out. You said you were battening down the hatchets. That's almost like uh, Rippy we're talking about the facade. already. Hatches! Not hatchets. Whatever. Whatever. A hatchet's a small axe. It doesn't matter. We're all going to die anyway because one to three inches of snow is coming for the northern half of the state, and we all are going to die. Hug your loved ones and make sure you... Seriously, though, make sure your dogs come inside. My neighbors last year left their dogs outside the entire time it snowed. It really made me mad, so don't be that person. Well, but hold on a second now. One... Dogs like snow. No, the like when it was getting down into the teens overnight and stuff, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, I certainly would agree with the fact that you've got to take care of your animals, but they're also, you know, they've got like a built-in coat. Oh, yeah. I mean, my, my two played in it all day long until it melted at like 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> they played in it all day long until it melted at 8 in the morning. Um... Good to be with you this afternoon. Let's see here. Sports Talk Mississippi 
Twitter feed at Sports Talk M I S S. So let's see. West Point Athletics says, just sitting here treating all of these closures like it's signing day. Commit to the closure. <laughs> so I saw on, on Twitter just a second ago, um, I think it's Sid, Sid Salter, I think, tweeted it. He's the public relations officer at, uh, or the communications director at Mississippi State and uh, said that the Mississippi State Starkville and Meridian campuses would be closed tomorrow due to inclement weather warnings and the prediction of bad travel conditions. What is this thing? I mean, it's 60 degrees in North Mississippi right now. I know the temperature is going to fall, but the hourly forecast that I keep looking at shows that it's not going to get below freezing until after the rain is actually through the area. Is the prediction different for central Mississippi? So here's what I'm looking at right now. It's going to start raining when it's 50 degrees at about 9 o'clock tonight, but it's going to rain all through until about 5 a.m., and 2 a.m. to about 5 a.m. is where it's going to drop below freezing, and that's where we're going to get the snow. Okay, so after rain falls for five hours we're going to get three hours of light snow and that's going to turn everything into a mess basically yeah it's assuming that it's going to stick to anything right i mean you hope so yeah it's always good to have one snow day a year one good real snow once a year oh i agree with that and look, we're running out of days because I mean we're a week and a half, two weeks away from the best weather of the year for the start of college baseball. I mean, there is no more opportunity for snow after mid-February. It's just against the law. I'm trying to get trying to get Rippy to crack a smile. His opening day is always seventy and sunny. Yeah, usually, usually it is. I don't remember there being an exception. All twenty-three years I've been on this earth, opening day. 70, sunny. Now, Major League Baseball is a different deal. April first, you might get snow. And, and, and mess up Major League Baseball's opening day. All right. Just having a little fun with you as we get started. Borky says the biggest sports story of the day is that Anthony Davis has turned down the Supermax deal offered by New Orleans and saying he wants to move on. I guess it's debatable as to whether or not that's the biggest story of the day, but that's what Michael says. What, what would the other biggest story of the day in sports be? Well, I mean, if our headquarters were Bristol, Connecticut, I would agree with you. I just don't know if that's the biggest story for the uh, folks of the great state of Mississippi today. Well, then what is it here? Oh, uh, that's a good question. There's quite a bit of activity over the weekend. All of a sudden, Mississippi State's men's basketball team's got some life after a big win against Auburn on Saturday night. The uh, Mississippi State women's basketball team knocked off Ole Miss yesterday afternoon. Whew, Ole Miss got thumped by Iowa State on Saturday. We're going to get to that coming up. Iowa State, by the way, is really good. You you were there. Do you concur? Yes, but, uh, I mean, they they came into the game as one of the better offensive teams in the country. Probably performed in a – I mean, the numbers were almost You can't shoot 70% with nobody guarding you. Yeah, I mean, they were, what, 20 of 26 in the second half. They missed six shots, and one of them came when the game was already out of reach, and the guy just kind of threw it up towards the end of the game. But, yeah, really good offensive team, but most of their looks were met by little to no resistance from Ole Miss. Mm. Um, 
Today we begin our countdown to the start of the college baseball season. We'll start our previews three weeks from... Wait, is it two weeks from this coming Friday? It is. It is. Two weeks from Friday, we've got college baseball. Uh, More staff transition at Mississippi State. Again, Alabama is the thief. Um, NFL, all of a sudden... Excuse me. All of a sudden, concerned about the officials that were working the NFC Championship game. Because apparently, four of them were based in Los Angeles or called Los Angeles home. Now, the Rams have only been in Los Angeles for like like 45 minutes, right? Yeah. See, I think this is opportunists because even Adam Schefter is the one that broke the news that. There are multiple people around the league that, at best, don't like the optics around that. In the article, it says the Saints don't believe that bias went into account in that game. I think they're opportunists to get some rule changes in the upcoming uh, competition committee meetings that that will go on this summer. I think they're posturing to get things done and, and to get changes made because if the team that was, for lack of a better term, screwed the most doesn't think that there was bias then other league officials can't really think there was bias. Yeah. Um, I've I've been thinking about this this NFL deal, and I think I've got a solution that fans would be accepting of with regard to officials in the NFL, and it has to do with transparency. I don't think we've got time to quite flesh this out right this second, but we will. Um, I I think there's a pretty simple way to kind of regain some public trust with regard to NFL officials. And frankly, I don't think you've got to stop with NFL officials. I think it could be with officials at every level. I think it could be with Major League Baseball umpires. I think it could be with NBA referees. I think it could be with college officials. And, and you might say that the, the level of transparency that I'm talking about would actually um, maybe make it more difficult to recruit officials. But I'm okay with that. I think that's something you've got to work around. We'll get into that coming up in, uh, in just a little while. So a lot to get to this afternoon. The C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Again, 601 879 4395 C Spire text line C Spire customer inspired. We got more coming up in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank understanding you. Hey Borky, I want to I want to skip to this NFL story for a second. All right, because I'd be interested to uh, to get some feedback on the C Spire text line of what I think would be an easy way to fix the perception that goes along with officiating um, decisions in the NFL. So, recap the story. Oh, you're asking me. Okay. Um, pretty if much. You don't mind. I mean, yeah. I- <laughs> um, Adam Schefter broke it over the weekend on ESPN that there are multiple people around the league, including people. Uh, in with an officiating background around the league that 
uh, don't like, at best, don't like the optics around having four officials that live in the Los Angeles area officiating the NFC Championship game, which featured a team from Los Angeles. In the article, it did say that the Saints don't believe that bias is what led to the poor call. However, other people around the league that he talked to anonymously, of course, and that included people with officiating backgrounds and uh, people that work in team front offices, don't like the fact that that was allowed to happen on top of the call being as horrendous as it was. All right, so a couple of thoughts initially. Number one, this isn't college football where people have loyalties because they went to school somewhere or played school somewhere. Everybody lives somewhere. And there's a news flash here. A lot of people live in big cities. And so it would stand to reason that some of your officials in the NFL and other sports too would live in big cities. The fact that they happen to be in the greater Los Angeles area and I don't guess we know exactly if that means Orange County or Los Angeles County or whatever, doesn't all of a sudden mean that they're biased against the New Orleans Saints in favor of the Los Angeles Rams. That would be number one. Number two, I actually know several NFL officials. And the bottom line is these guys want to get it right. Hold on, let me back up. I don't just know. I know several NFL officials, and I know several college officials, and I've gotten to know a bunch of college basketball officials. And the idea that these guys want to affect the outcome of the game by making a call, whether it's a good call or a bad call, it's just not true. I I understand why fans look at it that way and say, oh, they're out to get my team, or the idea that, oh, Alabama gets every call. I, I do believe that sometimes officials get wrapped up in the moment. I mean, they're not they're not immune to feeling big moments or feeling momentum or anything like that. And, you know, maybe that's the reason that you feel like Alabama gets more calls sometimes, just because of the human nature of it. But these guys want to get it right, and they are graded on a game-in and game-out basis. So here's what I would say. Borky, you've got this... Huge fas- uh, huge fascination with television ratings, right? Mm-hmm. We know everything there is to know. Well, within reason or, or within the confines of what the rating system allows us to know about who watches games, who watches what. And I mean the second the ratings come in for a game, we know exactly how well ESPN did or didn't do with a particular event. We know how well Fox did or didn't do. We know exactly how many people, theoretically, watched the Super Bowl. What if we started doing the exact same thing with our officials? And and I don't mean this as a negative. I mean this as a let's create a system of complete transparency so that this notion of guys trying to have it out for another team is there. So college basketball officials get graded every single game. There is an observer at every single game they work. Sometimes it's higher-level people. Sometimes it's more of a local observer. And then they have to file a report. The lead official has to file a report for each game. You know Major League Baseball umpires get observed. College baseball umpires get observed. You know that the NFL officials get observed. In fact, the NFL officials don't not only get observed, but they get graded 
on a game-by-game basis. When's the last time you saw any of those great? Never. Yeah, the answer is never, because they don't exist for public consumption. So what if we did that? What if we started making the grading report available for the public to see? So that, one, you had transparency, and two, people had, based on real grades, actual knowledge as to whether an official is good or bad. And here's the other thing you would do. You wouldn't be able to hide behind any politics whatsoever with regard to how you assigned officials for big games. Forgive me, but Cincinnati against the Miami Dolphins in Week 16 is not a big game. But... Uh, Seattle chasing a playoff spot against, I don't know, whoever, whoever it was in week 16. That's a huge game. Well, if you're an official that has been, has not done as well this year, you're not working the big game. You're working the game that doesn't matter as much. And when it gets to the playoffs, you're only getting the Super Bowl if you were the highest graded official at your position for the entire year. I don't care if you were in your first year in the league or you've been in the league for 40 years. The Super Bowl, take the politics completely out of it, should only be worked by the highest graded officials. You've got two conference championship games. Well, we need to spread our officials. No, you don't. You don't need to spread your officials out so that everybody feels like they deserve to. If you want to work a playoff game, you want to work the Super Bowl, you better be the highest-graded guy at your position. You want to work the conference championship games, you be better be one of the two highest-graded guys at your position. Division round game, one of the four highest-graded. Wild card, one of the four highest-graded. Well, but that's not fair, Richard. No, it's absolutely fair. You put the best officials on the field for the biggest games, you make their grades out there, and if somebody blows a call and they get downgraded, well, I'm sorry that you were scheduled to work the Super Bowl. You absolutely blew it in the NFC Championship game, so we're going to the next highest-graded guy at your position, and we'll insert him in for that game. It's going to be merit-based, not politics-based, and will completely take the veil of secrecy away from the officiating. And this is not to make officials look bad. It's to remove any level of secrecy that's out there. What do you think? Perceived bias would go away if you made it public. Because right now, the people that think that it's a conspiracy, what do they have to tell them it's not? A a mailing address. I'm sorry. I, I didn't answer your... I thought you were asking the question a different way. Right now, what do they have to base on the fact that there's a conceived conspiracy? All they've got is a mailing address. Yeah. But what do you have to prove it's not? That's well, what I was we're, asking. We're, is, is they've yeah, got no? Nothing. I see. They, yeah, we're, got... we're just telling you they're, they're we're, we're telling you they're good. You know that's not that's not good enough. I I, I would add a, another thing to what you were saying is make them meet with the media. If the players get to sit in front of a room of forty people and a bunch of cameras. When they're done, have an official come and sit down for 10 minutes and do the same thing. What do you think, Rip? 
I agree. I don't necessarily buy it. I mean, I get that it's probably bad optics to have four guys from an area of where the team's playing in, like in an NFC Championship game like that. But to your point about them not wanting to affect the game, isn't that the root of why no flag was thrown, is they were probably scared to have an outcome on the effect on the outcome of the game? I mean, it should, the flag should have been thrown, but don't you think they held off on throwing the flag for that reason? Isn't that what Occam's razor is? The most likely outcome or the most likely answer is probably the one that's true? Do what? The, the concept of Occam's Razor, I'll have to Google it to make sure I'm getting it right, but basically it's the most likely and Oh gosh, I'm Man, getting I, it wrong. I think I skipped that day of school. <laughs> it's basically what Rippy's saying. I, I will read it at the break to make sure I'm right and, and give you Fair a better enough. explanation, but it's basically what Rippy's saying. The thing that makes the most sense is probably true. So they most likely didn't want to change the outcome of a game by making a call. Therefore, they did not make a call. Is the I told you guys last week. I think the guy just froze. I think he knows a hundred times out of a hundred times that's a penalty. He just froze and for whatever reason could not pull the trigger until it was too late. I I think that's all that happened. I think it was just human error. Um, but I get people say, "Well, that's not good enough." in that scenario. Look, man, I I just say, put the grades out there. Whoever's the best, let the cream rise to the top, and then put your absolute best officials on your biggest games in the playoffs. And the final thing I'll say, I think overwhelmingly, like I started, football officials, basketball officials, baseball umpires, etc., they're good people who want to get it right. They don't want to be talked about. They just want to get it right. More coming up. Renaissance Bank Studio. 601-879-4395. If you want to join the show on the C Spire text line, C Spire, customer inspired. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Brian Haydad is off today. We are uh, glad to have you along for the ride. So what about some basketball from the weekend? Ole Miss played the early game in Oxford against Iowa State. It was a top 25 matchup. First time you had uh, two top 25 teams play against each other in the pavilion. Ole Miss is going to have to have another one of those matchups before they come out on the winning side of it because on Saturday they did not. Iowa State came in. Uh, got the win against Ole Miss. And they really were impressive. 87-73, a 14-point win. And the thing that blows you away is the fact that for the game, Iowa State shot 69.1%. They were 53% from behind the arc and attempted only four free throws in the game. How good was Iowa State? They were really good and really efficient offensively. Um, Ole Miss tried to predominantly 1-3-1 them and take some risks to try to get those guards kind of uncomfortable and in, in adverse situations. And it would work initially in a possession, but once they moved the ball you know, across the court a couple of times, Ole Miss would kind of be scrambling and get out of position, and that's when they kind of killed them off the bounce. Because I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they didn't make a ton of three-point shots. I mean, they were getting open looks at or near the rim. And, yes, they're a really good offensive team, but no team shoots 69% in a game without 
pretty awful defense. And so I think it was a combination of both. But they're a really good offensive team with, with veteran guards that could really honestly make a pretty deep run in the NCAA tournament if they stay healthy. But again, it was a combination of that and, and some pretty pretty egregious defensive breakdowns. Shayok finished with 17 points. Was he the best player on the floor? I don't know. They didn't really have much of an answer for Horton Tucker. They ran a lot of things at him. Um, they ran a couple different looks, a couple different defenders in the intermediate spurts when they would go, man. He seemed to hurt them more than anybody, but, you know, a combination between them two and, and a couple other guys, they, they just didn't really have an answer for anything they did, particularly on the perimeter. They guarded the perimeter in particular really, really poorly. Ole Miss got 22 points out of Brian Tyree. Terrence Davis had 16. Blake Henson had 13. And uh, Devontae Shuler had 10 in the game. Shuler played 35 minutes. How did he look from a health standpoint? Healthier. He In Tuscaloosa, he had a, a bit of a noticeable limp with that foot. On Saturday, he looked a lot healthier. Um, and I think the, the amount of minutes he played was reflective of that. Um, so that's certainly a positive sign for them, if nothing else, going forward. For the first, um, I don't know, 14, 15 games of the year, Ole Miss was shooting right at 50% from the field. And they were shooting maybe just a hair below 40% from behind the arc. And for a pretty significant stretch, one of the best free-throw shooting teams in the entire country. They shoot 36% in this game, did not shoot it well against Alabama, uh, didn't shoot it well against LSU in the loss. Is there concern? What, what's the level of panic or concern right now for this Ole Miss team going forward. Well, did you think that was a sustainable rate throughout the course of a season? Uh, on the surface, no. You could be around there when you. Yeah, I mean, but not. But there's a big difference in thirty six percent and forty nine point six percent. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then you shoot. Yeah, 25 of 69 from the field, you're not going to win very many games. I think their problem is is when their perimeter jump shots aren't falling, particularly with the guards, they're struggling to find other forms of offense. Like I think you saw that against LSU where they got pretty frustrated trying to get to the rim. And it seems like if a team can kind of frustrate them early, that the guards aren't as aggressive at, at, at attacking the rim, at least consistently. So, I mean, it's I think... I don't think the shooting will stay, like, in terms of jump shooting, I don't think it'll stay at this mark and they'll continue to shoot this per- percentage. But when they aren't falling, you have to be able to find other sources of offense. Like, you have to manufacture buckets, and they're not really doing that. I mean, they did force 19 turnovers, but they only had 16 points off those 19 turnovers. So you got to get more of the live ball variety and kind of get easier baskets in transition to kind of supplement what's been a pretty rugged offensive stretch of late. Five-point game at the half. Iowa State outscores Ole Miss by nine in the second half. I tried to kind of watch it on my phone from from Stillwater. That's not a, a real productive way to uh, really be able to watch a game. Borky, as you sat and watched it, what was your takeaway? I think especially in the post, Ole Miss is going to get exposed by teams that are as deep and pass as well as Iowa State does. And specifically with one player there's a there was a significant effort issue on Saturday and I'm kind of flabbergasted as to how that can happen when you're playing a top 25 team at home but well Bruce Stevens got to be better on both ends of the floor well particularly defensively it, it was an effort thing more more so than I mean Dominic Olenicek is limited I think we can all agree there he's limited 
But when he's on the court, you, you watch him and you think, that guy's trying. You know what I mean? Like, he is giving effort. He's limited, but he's out there and you know what you're going to get from him. The other hand, you look at him, this guy could be skilled. And it's, it's almost like he's choosing not to be. And that, that's really not fair to say about a kid, but it's true. It's, it, that's the look that I saw sitting on my couch on Saturday. As you have a big in the top 25 game that looks like he doesn't really want to be there. And that's a problem. To me, and this is, again, just my opinion, it seems like he he doesn't read defensive schemes in some of the quicker sets. Like, it's no accident he's getting in pick-and-roll situations quite often when he's on the floor, particularly when Ole Miss plays man. But like, he doesn't seem to read defensive schemes and anticipate things quickly enough. And so I don't know if he's always just, like, thinking in a step and a half behind, but it, there's something definitely, definitely off there. So coming up for Ole Miss, they're in the middle of a pretty difficult stretch right now. On the heels of the uh, the road trip to Alabama, they come home and meet Iowa State in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. They've lost two in a row since the win against Arkansas. This is a big week coming up for Ole Miss. They are at Florida on Wednesday night, games at 5.30 on the SEC Network, and then they return home on Saturday afternoon to face Mississippi State. A Mississippi State team that seems to have found itself a little bit. They're playing better basketball, coming off a really good win against Auburn. Now, Mississippi State's got that matter of facing Kentucky tomorrow night between now and then as well. Wait, is that right? Am I crazy or is That wasn't last week, was it? State went to Kentucky last nah, week. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. Um, i got to pull Mississippi State's schedule up. Uh, they will meet Ole Miss in Oxford on Saturday. The midweek game is at Alabama. So they've got to go to Alabama tomorrow night. So Ole Miss will play at Florida on Wednesday. Mississippi State is at Alabama tomorrow night. And it's two really big games for Ole Miss. Florida got beat on Saturday 55-50 to by TCU. They scored 50 points. Now, my guess is, is that TCU is better defensively than Ole Miss. But Florida is not a good offensive basketball team. And they've lost one of their contributors in Noah Locke for the year with a knee injury. Can they go to Gaines one win? They can, but that's not really an easy place to go win. If you're really looking at the big picture for Ole Miss, they have to find a way. Like if you're talking about realistically remaining in the NCAA tournament conversation for an extended stretch of time, they have to find a way to, at worst, go one and one this week and then kind of make their hay in this next little stretch. Cause you have A&M at Georgia, at Auburn's obviously not, not easy, but Missouri, South Carolina, and then Georgia again. Because after that, it gets pretty brutal. You're talking about the last four games of the year being Tennessee at Arkansas, Kentucky at Missouri to close the year. Ole Miss's SEC record is four, four and two. two. So if you, they were to go one and one this week, that's five and three. You really want they need to win five of the next six after that. I'm trying to count one, two, three, four. I mean, yeah, I guess at worst four. And two during that next six game stretch after that, but if you if you split with Florida and Mississippi State, the stretch of games you have coming up: Texas A and M at Georgia at Auburn, probably hard to win at Auburn, Missouri at South Carolina and Georgia. Now you could say, well, maybe South Carolina, yeah, maybe, but realistically, 
five and six would get you to ten wins in the league with four games remaining. Tennessee, Arkansas on the road, Kentucky, Missouri on the road. So if you want a recipe to the NCAA tournament, do you believe it's 10 or 11 that you got to win? I don't think it's going to be... I don't know at this point because I don't know what the bubble looks like in a month and how some of their other wins flesh out. I would think 10 would be enough, but 10 might make you need to win a game in Nashville to feel completely safe about it. The, the, the roadmap to 11 for Ole Miss is simple. It's 1-1 one and one this week, 4-2 and two over the next six, and then 2-2 two and two to finish the year. Not an easy road. No, it's not. But, yeah, I agree. I, I think that But that gets you to 11. You get to 11 in the SEC this year. Surely that's enough for the NCAA tournament. We'll take a look at Mississippi State's game against Auburn coming up. Plus, uh, check in with you on the C Spire text line after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. You ever had a busy stretch of work? And then when it was all over, you were like, man. I just got a lot of stuff done in a short amount of time, and that was kind of exhilarating. The whole exhilarating part—you probably have to enjoy what you do for that to be the uh, for that to be the case. I, I guess my example, and this is certainly a small one in comparison to, um, in comparison to some. Earlier this year, I did a basketball game on Friday night at Auburn. It was back in November when they played Washington. And then went from Auburn to College Station and got there shortly after the pregame show started, was on the sideline for that game, for the Ole Miss-Texas A&M football game, and then flew home and then did a Mississippi State basketball game on Sunday afternoon in Starkville. And when that was over, I was like, I need a nap. But it's really fun also. So Jim Gray. You know that name? You guys recognize that name, don't you? Jim Gray from Showtime and NBC Sports. He's the one that hosted the decision that LeBron did that time. Oh yeah. You know, little kind of kind of wiry looking little dude. Been in the media for a long, long time. So Richard Deitch at the Athletic, who covers the media, um, told this story kind of leading up to the Super Bowl, January 29th and thirtieth. Two-day stretch for Jim Gray. Started January 29th for the Julius Francis versus Mike Tyson fight at the MEN Arena in Manchester, England. Fight was broadcast on Showtime back in the United States. 10.30 bell, fight went fast, Tyson wins, post-fight interviews, and then he jumps in a car and has driven four and a half hours to Heathrow Airport, gets on the Concorde, flies back to New York, and it left at whatever time. They get into New York. He has a Knicks assignment for NBC, so NBC still got the NBA rights, on the morning of the Super Bowl. And is the sideline reporter for uh, a Knicks game, at Madison Square Garden. So he's gone Manchester, England, to London, to New York, NBA game, finishes the NBA game, races to LaGuardia, jumps on a plane that leaves at 4 o'clock, and flies to Atlanta and sits down in his seat to cover the Super Bowl 
by kickoff. Wow. That's impressive, right? It would exhaust. By the time I got to the Super Bowl, I would just put my head down and fall asleep for a while. That is pretty cool. It's kind of like Nance on Masters Week, doing the national title game, then just catching a flight to Augusta for the whole week. Yeah. Something tells me that Jim Nance doesn't have to jump in an Uber and race to the Atlanta airport or, or the whatever airport to fly to Atlanta commercial. Probably not. He seems like a guy that just kind of casually strolls everywhere he goes. I bet he casually strolls to a private plane. Yeah. He, that he takes forget- him and drops him off in Augusta. He can't forget to bring an extra tie, though, because the best thing that comes with winning a basketball national championship is getting Jim Nance's commemorative tie. Yeah. I saw that story a few years ago. Because that's didn't like that that kind of blew up. Of course he did. I mean, <laughs> well, maybe he did. <laughs> I could not imagine the the greatest moment in this nineteen year old kid's life, and you think that giving him your tie is going to mean anything to him at all? Well, hold on now. It's an upperclassman, right? Okay, so he's twenty one instead of nineteen. I'd be less likely to appreciate a grown man giving me his tie at twenty one than I was at nineteen. Hey, what are you, my uncle? Yeah. <laughs> like on Christmas, forgot to get you a present. So here's his tie I had in the car. So, so, yeah, I guess so. There are a lot of people that made fun of that story a lot. He's still really, really good at what he does. But I guess my thought is, I mean, if you get some kind of a trophy or a plaque or whatever for participating in the Final Four in the championship game and you win the thing, and Jim Nance, who's been doing Final Fours for like 20 years and will do them for another 20 years, gives you his tie. I mean, don't you just kind of like hang that over a trophy? And somebody goes, what's that? Oh, that's Jim Nance's tie. Oh, okay. I mean, it's, it's okay in your trophy case, right? You're not buying it, are you? No. <laughs> not even a little. Not at all. Not at all. Ties are expensive, too. Hey, give one away, especially a Jim Nance tie. Lord knows where he's buying his things. Apparently, Vineyard Vines. There's a new Jim Nance line of clothes. Saw this the other day. What does one the, tie go for in the Jim Nance collection? I don't know the Jim Nance collection. I, I've got no idea. No idea. Over under. What about in Stark? Do what? Over under one fifty. Under. I'll go over. No, under with if it's a Vineyard Vines tie. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. We'll take a look at Mississippi State's win against Auburn on Saturday night when we come back. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming. Supertalk.fm, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott, Rippy, and you. Glad to have you along on this Monday afternoon. we got winners and losers coming up in uh, a little while. We're going to get to Mississippi State's game from Saturday night coming up in just a bit. Our college baseball countdown, about 20 minutes away as well. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of land. Are you a farmer? Do you have equipment needs? Got to buy a new tractor, new combine, got to get a new cotton picker, whatever it is, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They can also help if you're buying new land, 
or refinancing an existing loan or getting your crop loans, whatever it is that's related to farming, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over 100 years at Mississippi Land Bank. They know the lay of the land, mslandbank.com. So Greg is a longtime listener on Sports Talk, and Greg has never been shy about saying to us exactly what he thinks. And so it is in that spirit that I will accept what Greg says. Uh, I'm going to read you his text message to the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395 is the number. C Spire, if your phone's a little rough around the edges, well, there's a single place you can trust for all your phone repairs, and that is C Spire. Stores from Brandon to Tupelo are now certified phone repair locations. They can fix any problem on any device from any carrier in most cases, while you wait, stop by today. Ceasefire, customer inspired. Greg says, Richard, I checked you out on Saturday for the basketball game. Brother, you know I'm a big fan, and God knows my heart here. But what I could see, you got you a good start on a double chinner, bro. Stay away from fast food drive through. Love, <laughs> Uncle G. He's kindly fat-shaming you. He says, there's a chin workout for that, brother. <laughs> um, He's probably right. I've probably got, you know, if I don't sit up straight and kind of extend my neck, you probably get the, uh... how do you get rid of that, though? I mean, is it like you just, generally work out and lose a little bit of weight and the weight, the extra skin, whatever, that would lead to a double chin just kind of falls away? Yeah, I don't know if there's a workout otherwise. You don't think I just need to do like neck circles all day and build that area up? But I don't know. I don't know if... Yeah, you couldn't Couldn't a beard mask a double chin? Uh... Yeah, but I mean, I'm not like just looking for a free ticket to eat more Big Macs. Why not? That's a you problem. Yeah. I mean, you I seen the White House? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'd rather not have like a fat face. <laughs> I mean, it won't look that way with the beard, is what I'm saying. Hal suggests surgery. <laughs> so, some sort of cosmetic surgery, Hal, to remove the. Extra skin on my neck so that I can avoid having a double chin? Is that what we're suggesting? Like I mean, I don't idea. need like, I don't need like gastric bypass surgery to lose weight. That's not, with, with no disrespect to those who choose to go that route. It's highly effective for some people. I'm not overweight. I just got a little extra whatever in my neck and chin apparently. Or maybe your collar was just a little too tight and you were sitting at a funny angle. Yeah, that could be it. All right. So um, I got a, a text from a buddy that says he likes the beard idea. Seems pretty bulletproof. Yeah. Uh, Will in Batesville says the dad bod is now apparently in. You should be good to go. The dad bod's always been in. Martha suggests that, uh, yeah, but not until you're a dad, Borky. Uh, Martha suggests that uh, it sounds like a question for Rebecca. Lee and Stark will suggest eat more. It will work out your chin muscles. 
There's an it's turkey season and Richard is the turkey. And Darren and Jackson says to keep it in the sports family, use Bruce Jenner's plastic surgeon. Hey, people! People advertise stuff all over the radio. Maybe there's a plastic surgeon that wants like me to mention them on the radio that they want to do the work on removing my double chin. Is that how this works, or no? Uh, yeah, I think so. We could do a Roger on the yeah Roger on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed points out that he's riding around with the air condition on while there's a winter storm warning that is about to go into effect. Mississippi weather. Mississippi State over Auburn on Saturday night, and they were impressive in doing so. See, this is the Mississippi State team that scares you if you are anybody not named Mississippi State. 16 points from Lamar Peters and 10 assists. Nick Weatherspoon, 12 points, 3 steals, 3 assists. Q Weatherspoon, 27 points, including 11 of 11 from the free throw line on 6 of 9 shooting. With four rebounds, three assists, and a steal. Reggie Perry off the bench, 10 points, 11 rebounds. Tyson Carter, nine points off the bench. As a team, Mississippi State shoots 51%. From behind the arc, they shoot 43%. 13 of 30. And Mississippi State had 20 assists on 28 made baskets. Yeah, it was very different, wasn't it? I mean, it, you always look better when you're making shots, right? It, your shot selection 100%. Could, could still be terrible, and if you're making shots, you look good. But it was different on Saturday night because it was a close game all throughout. And in the second half, they were down. I think it got up to six at one point, if I'm remembering correctly. But they were down late in that ball game. And the difference between beating Auburn and the loss to Ole Miss, for example and uh, other couple losses earlier in the season, they attacked the basket and didn't just take the ball up the court and take an ill-advised three-point shot with 18 seconds left on the shot clock. They attacked the basket, passed the ball, and that was your difference. Yeah, they shot the three-pointer well, but they won that game and were scoring down the stretch because the Weatherspoons, in particular, were attacking the rim. And they were taking better selected shots from the perimeter. Much different Look, than, before, than before. Okay, better selected, I, I'll give you that. But Mississippi State still had over 50% of its shot attempts from behind the arc. Yeah. 30 three-point attempts out of their 55 field goal attempts. It's kind of what they are as a team. They shoot a bunch of threes. Tyson Carter is going to let it fly from deep. Lamar Peter is going to let it fly from deep. Q Weatherspoon, Nick Weatherspoon, they're both going to do it. Eric Holman is going to do it. Takes eight shots. Four of them are from behind the arc. Abdul Adu still only takes two shots. None of them are threes. He had eight points and three rebounds and was four of ten from the free throw line. Yeah, that's um, not so great. No, no, it's not. Um. Kind of a close game all the way through. Mississippi State led by two at the half. They were up 47-45. to Outscored Auburn at the end, 45-39. At one point in the second half, and I wasn't able to sit down and watch the entire thing, but at one point during the second half, Auburn briefly took the lead. It was kind of back and forth, back and forth. And Auburn went up. Did they go up nine in the second half? 
I want to say they pushed it out to eight or nine points, and then the blink of an eye it was tied again, and then Mississippi State kind of pushed the lead out, and then back and forth the rest of the game, and Mississippi State gets the win. Bulldogs get to 15-4 and four overall. Seven is the biggest second-half lead I can find. Okay. Mississippi State now 3-3 three and three in the conference. So they've won three of their last four. Lost to South Carolina to start league play. Lost at home to Ole Miss. World was coming to an end. 0-2. What hate did I tell you? Well, not dead yet, but pretty important stretch coming up. An absolute must-have win at home against Florida. Just to get one. Okay. Go to Vanderbilt. Win by 16. Now you're back square. 2-2. Two and two. Got to go to Kentucky. Probably not a good scenario there. Lose by 21. Auburn at home. That's a team that can absolutely beat you on your home floor. Didn't happen. Big crowd. Over 10,000 paid attendance. Crowd was into it. Crowd was a factor. Mississippi State wins, and they get it back to 3-3. Three and three. Alabama road game coming up. Then they got to go to Starkville. Then it's LSU. Then it's Kentucky. It's not an easy stretch coming up for Mississippi State. They just got to kind of keep plugging away, keep chunking away, sitting on 15 wins right now. Three and three in the league with 12 league games to play. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Glad to have you along. Borky, have we got fancy music for our baseball preview? No, we don't, but I can play some good music for our baseball preview. Yeah? Well, Give let's get it. Give me one second. Okay. We're going to... Uh, I'm going to let Borky kind of explain the uh, the way he has gone about putting this list together. So we've got 15 shows until opening day. So I decided basically just to take the 14 teams in the SEC along with Southern Miss, and we're going to do a preview every day of that team, kind of like we do with 100 teams in 100 days with help from the good folks over at D1 Baseball. So they picked the order, predicted order of finish in the SEC, and we're going along with that. So team number one is the Alabama Crimson Tide. They went 27-29 and 29 last year. They were 8-22 and 22 in the SEC. They did not make the SEC baseball tournament, which is not how you want to finish out the year. They finished up losing two of three at home to Ole Miss. It's... Um, it's year number two for Brad Bohannon. And you remember he was an assistant coach at Auburn. Auburn was playing in the Tallahassee Regional. And while that was going on, it was announced or leaked that he was going to be the named uh, the next head coach at Alabama. Has a reputation as a really good recruiter. We'll see what kind of a baseball coach he is. Alabama opens the season on February 15th with Presbyterian, a three-game series. 
They play Jacksonville State. They play Alabama State. They play Ball State, North Alabama, South Alabama. Eh, first weekend of March, South Alabama. All right, this is a schedule for Alabama that is designed to help that team stack up a bunch of wins early. It's not going to do a whole lot for their RPI. We are still using RPI for baseball, right? We're not switching over to net for baseball? I don't think so. (laughs) So, you know, first month of the season games against Presbyterian, Jacksonville State, Alabama State, Ball State, North Alabama, South Alabama, UAB, and Northern Kentucky is not going to have you way up there in the RPI. But this team's going to need to rack up some wins. They will open SEC play on the road in Oxford. Week two, they host Arkansas. Then they go to Florida. Then they host South Carolina. Got to go to Starkville. Vanderbilt and LSU in back-to-back weeks at Auburn, Texas A&M, and on the road against Georgia. Forgive me for the quick, rash reaction. And I'm making the SEC tournament again this year. That's tough sledding out of the gate. How are they bad at baseball? Help me out with that. I mean, it's... It's a state that plays it pretty well, at least on a, on a youth level, and Tuscaloosa is a cool town. You would think it could attract decent baseball players. I know they have scholarship limitations, but how are they so bad? Um, it's a good question because they didn't used to be bad. Under Jim Wells, Alabama was kind of a model of consistency. Won multiple SEC baseball tournaments, a couple of trips to the College World Series in Omaha, it, I don't know if it's as simple as this, but for the longest time, it was just something going on in the spring because it's always been about football. And they've had decent fan support through the years, but it's never been like it is in Oxford or Starkville or Fayetteville or Baton Rouge. Um. You know, I don't know if Brad Bohannon is the answer or not, but there's no reason, Borky, that they shouldn't be kind of mentioned in the same breath with those other schools. They've got a brand new ballpark, a couple of years old now. It's not ever going to be as big. I don't think their fans are ever going to attend games. They've tried to kind of build up an environment out beyond the right field wall. You know, like what Ole Miss has with the students, like what Mississippi State's done in the outfield. Or maybe I should say that in reverse. Like what Mississippi State's always done in the outfield, what Ole Miss has created, what Arkansas has created out beyond the left field wall with the hog pen. I think Kentucky's trying to do that going forward as well. But there's not a great answer. I would agree with you. There are a bunch of good baseball players in the state of Alabama. Um, you know, there might be an easy answer in the, well, you know, there's not a state lottery to, to supplement what they're doing. Well, um, a couple of teams in Mississippi would say, I hear you. Uh, Sam Finnerty and Jake Walters return for Alabama. Finnerty will be a senior coming back. They've got some arms back, you know, some veteran arms from a season ago. They just, that was not a very good baseball team last year. And it's part of the reason that Mitch Gaspard was let go. Um, 
they're going to be a new team this year, though. They're, they're recruiting and trying to get a bunch of guys in that can play, and whether it's this year or next year, to try and start to turn things around in that program. What do you think about Alabama baseball, Rippy? They haven't been relevant in a long time. No, they haven't. They've kind of almost got there for a few years under Gaspard, but it didn't seem like they ever got back to the level they were at under Wells. Um, I mean, wouldn't you say that's accurate? Because, I mean, Greg Goff lasted a year, then Bohannon comes in. Under Bohannon last year, their first year, I mean, they were more competitive. I mean, they were awful under Goff that, well, I guess that was two years ago. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, no, the I school forgot was, Goff being in between Gaspard and lasted Bohannon. Lasted and it went about as bad as you could possibly imagine on the field, off the field. Uh, Brad Bohannon in an article on D1 Baseball says that about half of our team is new. We had an older team last year and lost about 1,200 at-bats off of that team. But it's 1,200 at-bats for a team that ranked 13th in the SEC in offense. They were kind of a disaster at the plate. So we'll see. Alabama, the first team that we look at, in the countdown to the start of the college baseball season, two weeks from Friday, you've got real baseball games. It gets more exciting than this, I promise. It's just the first two or three are... Who's up next? I think Missouri. Okay. Got it on the whiteboard in the office. I think it's Missouri, and then... You remember, you remember any of the pictures from when when Mississippi State went to Missouri last year? It was in March, and it looked like it was about four degrees. <laughs> and the number of degrees matched the number of people at the game. There were more state fans there. No question. And there were like 30 of them. Not not a knock. I wouldn't begin to tell you to go sit out in that mess to watch that. Missouri's got some baseball history. They just haven't been very good in recent years. Kendall Rogers tweeted a couple of days, I guess this was on Friday. The NCAA has decided to allow college baseball to get together its own early recruiting rules and dates in the same way that football and basketball have done. They'll give baseball time to nail down specific dates, and this is a positive news for college baseball. Why would, what would be the reasoning for that, the rationale there? Like an early signing period? I guess so. They're gonna they're gonna be able to put together the recruiting calendar. So Kendall says the new college baseball recruiting calendar that was put forth by the coaches was not voted on at the NCAA convention. They will vote on that in April and sources are saying that the NCAA is going to let college baseball establish its own recruiting calendar. I'm sure it'll have to do with signing periods and early signing periods and when you're able to get all of that done you don't look like you're up to date on all the rules regarding baseball recruiting a lot of the administrative stuff in baseball not exactly but i mean my first reaction to that would i guess it would just bring more organization to it all like with i guess in terms of getting kids on campus and the optimal time to do so is that gentleman's agreement in baseball recruiting real heard people mention it before, but once a kid commits to a school that you stop recruiting him, is that actually real? 
I think it seems more real than other sports because you rarely see flips in baseball. Yeah, it, it just if you're in the winning business, forget being a gentleman. I, I'd rather have a job and flip some recruits than not have a job and say, well, you know, I didn't recruit the kid that was committed to Auburn. All right, I'm trying to communicate these delays and whatnot as they come in. If you have one that is in your area, let me know. Oxford School District says due to the threat of inclement weather during the overnight hours, the Oxford School District will operate on a two-hour delayed start tomorrow. If there's a need to cancel school, a decision will be made and communicated by 8 a.m. So that's in Oxford. Other places, shoot us a tweet at Sports Talk. Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming, supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey on this Monday afternoon. Brian Haydad will rejoin us tomorrow, taking a day off. I think he said he uh, had some Mr. Mom duties for uh, a few days this week. So I think he was trying to get all of his ducks in a row. And uh, probably go buy bread and milk with what you need. the snowpocalypse and whatnot. I'm actually scared to go to the grocery store tonight. And not like I'm, I'm afraid of people, but just waiting in line and being in the crowd of people that feel like they have to buy out the store because we're going to get a couple of inches of snow is, is just going to bother me. And we have to go. Like We don't have a choice. We are completely out of food, have to go tonight. And it's the worst timing. Okay, I'm, I'm actually curious about this. What is um, new married couple Michael and Katie's grocery store routine? We'll go once a week. And so, do you go together, or does one or the other of you go to the store? She likes to go without me because she is the type that wants to walk up and down every aisle and, and be inspired and see something like, oh, I want to cook that. The difference is she's very skinny and can eat whatever she wants. I cannot. So I have to be very strict when I go to the grocery store because I, if I eat poorly for three days, I have to like add a, a belt loop. Look, man, before you know it, you have people texting in the show saying you got a double chin, <laughs> and you know, I mean, careful. Yeah. So, so she likes to go alone because she wants to come home and cook all these. I mean, she's really good at it, but I can't eat the way she does, and so I like going together because it forces us to stay on a schedule and allows me to eat not near as much as. She would like. Do you take to. a list? Oh yeah. I'm in and out. A- anytime I'm doing anything like grocery shopping or any kind of shopping, anything, I-, I think about what I'm going to do ahead of time. I execute and I immediately get out. I don't waste any time. Um. I won't. I'm certainly not the exclusive grocery shopper in our family. It kind of goes in spurts, but. I generally go to the grocery store for us, and it's usually after everybody goes to bed. So I'm the guy that goes to the grocery store at like 10.30 or 11 at night, which is great because nobody's there. Sometimes it's less great, though, because they got like all the stuff to stock the store for the next day sitting out in the aisles, and you can't. it's kind of hard to move around. And they haven't actually stocked the aisles and stuff yet, so they're oftentimes what you're looking for isn't there. So that would be the drawback to going late at night. Um, I don't go without a list, though. I can't. It, it, going into things without some kind of a plan like that. But it's I, a list that my wife makes. I mean, let's be clear. Yeah, that's now. fine. You walk in, you grab the stuff she tells you to grab, and you get on out. I can't do the, 
walk up and down every aisle and oh this looks good can't do that <laughs> rippy he's like i keep thinking there's something i need to add to this conversation and i just couldn't do it i don't have much grocery store shopping experience um my girlfriend sent me one time we were about to graduate college she was having some cookout at her house with a list I got about 75% of the list and then a couple of things I wanted and it didn't go over well. Yeah, you got to complete the list, man. You didn't finish the list? Always finish the list. Well, there's a couple of things I couldn't find. Find them. Did you ask for help? No. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was it was not good. <laughs> I got some stuff I wanted, but that would, that didn't supplement the, the missing things on the list. I got some Captain Crunch and some Hot Pockets. <laughs> It's a heck of a cookout, man. And that's opposite sides of the store as well. Richard and Wiggins says he uh, is an impulse buyer, or maybe he says he used to be. Oh, he says he used to be an impulse buyer, but he got his card yanked. Hmm. I guess so. Uh, I, I get that. Grocery store's expensive, too. And and then when diapers get added to the list, I mean, boom, jumps it way up as well. I don't know. Tim also asked, why is it always milk and eggs? Why not spam and tuna and crackers? Wait, milk and bread's the one I've always heard, but I was going to ask. Did I say it. eggs? I, I meant milk. Oh, he did type eggs. Milk and bread is what I've always heard. Why? I don't know. I mean, I like I think about my group grandparents, friends, like family down the line that used to eat like buttermilk and bread. Like that was a afternoon snack. They'd put bread, like white bread in a bowl and pour buttermilk on it. Oh. Yeah, but this isn't like the ice age. Like in a day and a half this is all gonna be over with. I don't understand. Like it'll is, be over by ten o'clock tomorrow morning. I, I know, but I've always I've always wondered this when they like is it just a saying or are you actually going to get milk and bread? If you walk by the bread aisle, it will be cleaned out. I don't understand that. What if you got a bunch of, like, DiGiorno pizzas? Wouldn't that serve the same purpose? The point is to get food, right? Well, yeah, but maybe the idea is you get bread so that you can make peanut butter sandwiches in case all your electricity goes out and you can't cook anymore or something. Then the milk's going to go bad. Yeah. Well, you could always take the milk outside and stick it down in the snow, and it should stay cool. I don't know about that. You don't know about what? <laughs> like I, I just I don't know about the general. Like I don't under. I still don't. I mean, know. snow will no, be cold. <laughs> it would keep your milk cold for a day. I, I know that. I just the whole idea of the milk and bread thing. I, I don't. Because it doesn't make any sense. I, I mean that that's why you don't understand it because it doesn't make sense. Why does a few inches of snow make you want to go buy up all the bread? I, does this happen up north, or is it just strictly a southern thing? Yeah, I don't think this really... I think they get enough snow that... I do love the people, though, and you'll see it like on national news and on social media or whatever. People up north that'll make fun of southerners. Oh, my God, three inches of snow shut down the city of Atlanta. Yeah, call me when it's July and it's 90 and you're crying. Greg says, bread is sugar, Richard. Stay away. <laughs> He's staying on you about that one. Jeez. Yeah, yeah that's tough. You're not, um, but you're not even over, like not even slightly overweight. No. Maybe you're just a big chin guy. <laughs> I 
I don't think it's the first chin that's the issue. It's the skin from underneath on my neck that makes it look like I have a second chin that was what he was pointing out. Not if you count it all as one. <laughs> it's just a big chin. Hey, we talked about Mississippi State and Ole Miss's results from the weekend. What about the rest of the SEC Big 12 Challenge? You remember a year ago it was a big deal. The SEC won the SEC Big 12 Challenge for the first time ever. Well, not this year. Um, finished a game below 500, 4 and 6. Tennessee beat West Virginia, 83-66, and West Virginia looked poor. Kentucky, good win over Kansas. Kentucky 71-63. That Kentucky team all of a sudden is pretty compelling and getting better and better. Texas Tech, Arkansas, you wanted to jump in on Kentucky? No, it's interesting to me on, like, People talk about Kansas and the streak of the Big 12 ending. They've really struggled since Azubuke has gone out. And so, like, would this actually be the year they lose it? Like, they haven't played well since his injury. Was it three of four, three of their four losses this year or without Yudoka Azubuke? I think that's right. And, like, they barely lost at West Virginia, who is very bad. They barely got by Iowa State at home. Like, it would seem if there was ever a year for that to end, it's now. Yeah. 14 in a row? Somewhere I was thinking somewhere in the twelve to fourteen range. Yeah, I, I think it's fourteen number. straight, um, and th- that's regular season titles. Yeah, in the Big Twelve, it's crazy when you think of a decade and a half of winning the conference title every single year in a league that's usually good. Yeah, Texas Tech beat Arkansas by three. Uh, SEC action: LSU over Missouri, eighty-six to eighty in overtime. LSU was down 14 with three minutes to play. Did you watch it? I did. I watched the end of that game. I got back from bowling, actually, and watched the end of it. It was um, it was honestly incredible to like how that came out. Because I believe it, it, like, Missouri had a 14-point lead with as little as like 207 left or something like that, and then just completely folded I mean, it's hard to score 15 points in two minutes in college basketball, much less give up one. And if you'd made both free throws, it wouldn't have gone to overtime. Oh, LSU could have won it in regulation. LSU had two free throws, and the kid missed the uh, with about a second left, and the kid missed the front end and made the second end to send it to overtime. So LSU could have actually stolen that thing in regulation. Baylor beat Alabama by five. TCU beat Florida by five. Oklahoma State beat South Carolina by four. Georgia beat Texas by 10. Georgia scored 98. Beat them 98 to 88. AM knocked off Kansas State. That was probably the biggest surprise of the day. And Oklahoma boat raced Can- uh, Vanderbilt 86 to 55. That's what happened in the SEC in basketball this weekend. We're coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. It is Sports Talk Mississippi. Cross, Rippy, and Borky on this Monday. Hey, Dad is off today. Glad to have you along. We will um, we'll get to winners and losers today in the 5 o'clock hour. Also got your college football fix coming up a little bit later. And um, a few other things. You can text the show, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line. 
Ceasefire customer inspired. You can also tweet us at Sports Talk M I S S. Women's basketball yesterday at the Hump in Starkville. Just a little news flash here. Mississippi State's really good. Let, let, let's start there. Not that uh, not that that's news to anyone. Uh, they win eighty to forty nine, a thirty one point win over Ole Miss. Mississippi State now nineteen and one on the year, seven and zero inside the SEC. Ole Miss fell to eight and thirteen for the season, two and five in the league. Mississippi State led by Tierra McCowan, thirty three points and thirteen rebounds. Stat line's pretty good. 11 of 16 from the field, 11 of 12 from the free throw line, seven offensive rebounds, had one block shot, and that was in 33 minutes. So she played a bunch and got an impressive win yesterday. Uh, or helped her team get an impressive win. 16 points for Unreal Howard, 12 for Jordan Danbury. 10 for Espinosa Hunter in the game as well. Those were the four players from Mississippi State that um, played in played and scored in double digits. Uh, Jasmine Holmes did not score, played 29 minutes yesterday, had six assists in the game, and Danbury had seven uh, seven assists. It's a pretty good sharing of the basketball. And it, it's just a different level. Believe it or not, the Ole Miss women's basketball team is getting better. Um I think a lot of people maybe didn't know what to expect with Yolette McPhee McEwen coming in. She has had that team playing hard. They have been organized. They've looked. I mean, it's it's extremely evident that the talent level has to rise if Ole Miss is going to be competitive, even remotely, with Mississippi State. But the talent level doesn't have to rise exponentially to be competitive in the SEC because SEC women's basketball is not as good as it used to be. It, it used to be, and really only a few years ago, where Tennessee was out, had run off and hide from everybody. And then South Carolina got good. Then Mississippi State got good. There have been some other teams that have cycled in and out. I mean, Georgia used to be a power in women's basketball under Andy Landers. They've struggled a bit. They haven't struggled. They just haven't been the dominant team that they once were. So for Ole Miss to be competitive in the SEC, they need some work. To be competitive with Mississippi State, they got a lot of work to do. In the series between Ole Miss and Mississippi State in women's basketball, Ole Miss won 50 of the first 51 meetings. Feels like Mississippi State's working on a streak that's not terribly off from that. I think they've won 10 in a row or 11 in a row now and have really dominated over the last 15 years. 15, 18 years. It's been an impressive run. So we'll see where it goes. I mean, it's really been impressive what they have been able to pull off in Starkville. Had a big win yesterday. Um, upcoming schedule for Mississippi State. And, and here's the thing. I, I'm not being flippant when I say it doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter. Here's what they got coming up. LSU on the road. Can't score. At Alabama. Alabama's got a win against Tennessee. Nah. 
Not in the, they're not in the same league. Tennessee's not in the same league with Mississippi State. Missouri's a difficult game. It's a home game. Got to go to Texas A&M. Probably emotional. Vic Schaefer on the road. A&M's a top-20 team. Road game against Ole Miss. Yeah, it's a rivalry game, but the, the, the disparity in talent is so vast there. Vanderbilt it's at home. LSU at home. I mean, the one to watch is the final game of the regular season when they go to South Carolina. Mississippi State's going to be 15-0 in the SEC going into that final game of the regular season. they got to go to number 16 South Carolina. We'll see how that one plays out. Be a fun way to end the regular season. Big Schaefer's team right now, though, absolutely dominant. Take a timeout when we come back. More coming up with you. College football picks next. Winners and losers and more in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Here we go, just after 5 o'clock with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online. Supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott, Rippy, and you. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Hey, Dad is off today. He will be back on board tomorrow. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Thinking about building a dream home on that perfect piece of property? Well, Mississippi Land Bank is where you go for that. If you're in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs, check them out online, mslandbank.com. Fantastic people, branch locations all over North Mississippi, and the land financing options that you need. mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. All right, Borky, you ready for a little college football fix? College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. You can find out all about the best-selling cars, trucks, vans, SUVs, the F-150 best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years. Stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer and test drive one today. Uh, Here's one piece of news. Mississippi State has added a new football coach to its staff, and that is Michael Johnson. going to be the new wide receivers coach at Mississippi State. That release came from uh, the Bulldogs Athletic Department earlier today. Michael Johnson, veteran in both the college and pro coaching ranks, spent the 2017-18 season at the University of Oregon, is now Mississippi State's wide receivers coach. 16 years of experience uh, coaching in the college and the NFL Oregon, UCLA, Oregon State in the NFL with 49ers, the Ravens, the Falcons, and the San Diego Chargers. So, um, good pick up there. There was also another departure, and we will get to that coming up in just a little while. So, Borky walked me through this. Clemson had a little bit of an issue when they had three players that... um, Failed a drug test prior to the playoff. And Clemson at the time, after they failed that test, specifically Dabo Sweeney, was, 
I have no idea how this got in their system. The players have no idea how this got in their system. We're going to get to the bottom of this, blah, blah, blah. Things that you would expect them to say after three of their players tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. Here's the thing, though. The NCAA, according to the Post and Courier, which is in Charleston, based out of Charleston, a newspaper, uncovered that the NCAA tested what they called fewer than 20 Clemson players and got three of them that tested positive. Clemson, to this point, and will never, according to this story, do any further testing of their football program. They're not going to find out if any other player is using performance-enhancing drugs. So they have three players out of fewer than 20 that tested positive for performance enhancers. They claim they have no idea how it got in their system, yet they're not going to dig any further into their roster of 119 to see if any other player has it in their system as well. I don't know if that's a story or not. I feel like you can file that into the category of just win, baby. We won the title. Why would we want to mess anything up? But if you really didn't know how the drugs got in your player system, wouldn't you test the entire roster to try to find the genesis of the problem? Not if you don't want to know the answer to the question. So it's either they know the answer and they don't want anybody else to know the answer or they don't want to know the answer because they just won a title and they're probably on their way to winning another one. Are they doing business any differently than anybody else? No. But I I just... This being so public is what surprises me. Yeah. Dan Radakovich, the AD at Clemson, had this to say. With respect to future plans for our drug testing protocols, we regularly evaluate our procedures and are currently working with legal counsel, experts in the field in the NCAA to review emerging national trends. I mean, just what a load of baloney. Yeah, it's a bunch of crap. It's basically saying we're not doing anything. And I kind of admire it. I don't kind of admire it. Drug testing happens in two phases. It happens at the university level, and it happens at the NCAA level. If you fail an NCAA-mandated drug test, you're missing games, period. If you fail a university drug test, strike one, you get a warning. And different places, uh, okay, let's be real. One, different places have different policies. And two, different places, different schools have different follow-through on their policies. Strike one, most places, is a warning. Strike two is some sort of a suspension. Strike three is a little bit longer of a suspension. And usually if you get popped a fourth time, you're probably dismissed from the program for the violation of team rules. Was it the, the, the third strike when you kind of see that 30% suspension? Is that about right? Like strike one's a warning. Yeah, very yeah, loosely like here. Yeah. St- strike one's a warning. Strike two is ten percent of the games scheduled. So you know, a game if you're playing football, three games if you're playing baseball or basketball, and then strike three is you miss ten games. Some universities take this very seriously. Um, 
I don't know if the news ever completely came out as to what Sendarius Thornwell's issue was at South Carolina a couple of years ago when he had that long suspension, but it was believed that it was a university suspension for failed drug test. Some athletic departments don't take those real seriously. Sometimes it's about convenience. Well, can this guy help me? Is he a bad apple that I need to get rid of anyway? Oh, well, it's the third time he's gotten caught. See ya. He's dismissed. Got to move on. Violation of team rules. Well, this guy's got nine sacks, and he draws the attention of two offensive linemen on every snap in the game. I mean, I know that he's failed five drug tests, but does it really make sense? To me, here's the issue. If you have a flexible policy with regard to how you enforce the rules that you have in place for drug tests or failed drug tests, that's when you got problems. If if one guy gets treated one way for failing a drug test and another guy gets treated a different way, players are smart enough to know that that's happening and you can pretty quickly create division within the locker room. But it does happen. Sure it happens. It does. I'm just surprised, and maybe I'm not surprised, I'm just surprised that the NCAA will test fewer than 20 guys and get three positives and not think, you know what, maybe we should expand this a little bit. Maybe it was just by circumstance... But 3 out of 20 on a roster of 120 is not a very good ratio. It might mean there's a problem. Like an actual problem, not a $100 handshake problem. Like guys taking drugs to get better at the sport when they're 19 years old. Well, they they took Osterin, which was a performance-enhancing substance. Which apparently is not uh, a very strong one because there was a physician quoted in this story that said the rewards don't really outweigh the risk of taking this drug. Look, I mean, this doesn't sound to me like guys that you've got going around the corner and shooting up with needles in the locker room. No. This is that they're taking some sort of supplement or substance that wasn't assigned by the trainer or the training staff or the nutrition staff, that they went down to the store down at the end of the street and they thought it would help them get bigger or stronger or whatever and didn't really check out what was in it, didn't get it approved by anybody. They've been taking this stuff and get tested for it and bam. Maybe maybe that's me being very, very naive. I don't know. Bradley and Marietta says, why can't the NCAA go in and test them all? Well, they've got rules that they have to follow with how they administer drug tests. They do. <laughs> Tim and Enterprise, if it was Ole Miss or State, the NCAA would expand the testing. Yeah, they'd probably figure out a way. Follow their own rules. Good point, Borky. Three out of 20 is not a good ratio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. That is your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers.
You know, I don't know how things work at your house. Here's how they work at my house. Saturday morning, Sunday morning, when kids could actually sleep in a little bit, no shot. I mean, it's it's 6, 6.15, rolling out of the bed. School morning, Monday morning, and Ava Montgomery, my, my oldest daughter, is the best about getting up of, of any of them. And I had to go wake her up and basically drag her out of bed this morning. She's like, I hate Monday mornings. I don't want to get up. Obi, my little boy, man, he's he's kind of a grump in the mornings. So here's how it's going to work. Tomorrow is a school day. But it's a school day with a two-hour delayed start. So you know what's happening tomorrow, right? 5 a.m. wake up for the little yep. ones. Yep. It's it's a 6 a.m. max. Better enjoy it while they can because it's going to, I say heat up, but it's still only going to be like in the 40s. But that snow's going to melt quickly tomorrow. Man, I, I'm not even convinced it's going to snow here. Well, if it's going to snow here, it's going to snow there. Not necessarily. It looked like there was kind of a band of inclement weather that was going to sweep across kind of the middle of the state and miss the northern part. It's already canceling have, school, though. So, Yeah, you've got school closures. You can uh, check out newsms.fm for a uh, list. I'll give you a quick rundown of what we've got here. Atala County Schools, two-hour delay. Um, closure, closures. Brookhaven, Forest County, George County, Greene County, Hattiesburg, Hines, East Jasper Consolidated School District, Jefferson County, Jefferson Davis County, Jones County, Lawrence County, Laurel, Perry County, Petal, Simpson County, South Pike, Vicksburg, Wilkinson County. Bellhaven has closed its Jackson campus tomorrow. Hines has closed its campus tomorrow. And Mississippi State has closed its Starkville and Meridian campuses tomorrow. And, oh, by the way, Alabama in Tuscaloosa has canceled classes for tomorrow. uh, Rippy is waiting anxiously to hear an announcement from Ole Miss. I'm not getting my hopes up. You got homework that like has to be done pending class tomorrow. I mean, I'm not sure how much that would factor into it anyway, but it'd be nice not to have to go. Yeah. Oh man, tough life you got up there, huh? Come sit through some of my classes with me, Borky. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we can trade. I'll go back to school, and you can move down here, and we'll we'll trade jobs even. Mississippi State, now former defensive line coach Brian Baker, has left the Bulldog football program and is expected to accept a role on Alabama's staff. That's according to Bama Online. Native of Baltimore, been with the Bulldogs since 2016. Coming off his third season in Starkville, first on Joe Moorhead's staff. Worked with defensive linemen like Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat, both of them all SEC selections this past year. Prior to that, he spent the 1996 all the way through the 2014 seasons coaching for eight different teams in the NFL. This was a guy that Mississippi State really didn't want to lose. From a recruiting standpoint, and certainly from a coaching standpoint. 
Yeah, I mean, he just had arguably the best one of the best defensive fronts in college football. I think there's probably only two schools in the country that have an argument in favor of them, and that would be Clemson and Alabama. Yeah. Um, and you could debate that. I mean, you could. probably a little subjective at that point. Yeah. Um, it's a big deal, and there are – I mean, I, I still expect them to be pretty good defensively. They've recruited pretty well there, and, and they've developed talent, especially under Dan Mullen, but uh, a lot of Mullen's guys are still there, and, and they have developed talent. There's a track record for it, but there, there are people that think that they're not going to take a step back defensively and you know, think that if you would like to, but you don't lose these kind of bodies to the NFL and not replace them with equal talent and have a number one defense in the country next year. And well, now you're I mean, losing a defensive line coach. Let's just be honest for a second. You want to know how good the staff was that Joe Moorhead had put together? The NFL wants him. He lost his offensive coordinator to the NFL. He lost Hudspeth to a head coaching job. And he's lost Brian Baker and Charles Huff to Alabama. Nick Saban went and got him. It's a pretty good indication of the kind of people that your head coach is hiring. Yeah. And I would think that if you're a Mississippi State fan, that's probably what makes you excited about what we were talking about just a second ago with the new wide receivers coach. Um, You know, I, I, I think, again, from a Mississippi State perspective, what you have to hope is that Joe Moorhead's just really good at hiring assistant coaches and evaluating assistant coaches. And he'll continue to be able to bring in guys that kind of fit what he's trying to do. Text message, I hate to lose Brian Baker, but you can't blame Alabama for trying to shore up their defense that was annihilated by Clemson. No. Not at all. And, you know, I think there are two things also in play with that. Number one... In the same way that it's hard for 18-year-old kids to tell Nick Saban no, when you're recruited by the greatest football coach ever, I think that kind of goes for coaches too, doesn't it? And if the greatest of all time comes to you and says, I want you to be on my staff, it's kind of hard to say no. Now you probably go in eyes wide open. You know what you're getting into with Nick Saban. You're about to work harder than you've ever worked in your life. You're going to put in long hours. You're going to get butt chewings along the way. But especially if you're on the defensive side, it's going to make you a better football coach. And there are a lot of guys that have been able to parlay coaching for Nick Saban into head coaching jobs. It feels like almost all of them at least coach at Alabama under Saban and then their next job is a better one, one way or the other. So, um, Kevin on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed says, Lately Alabama has had a lot of turnover. Is Saban hard to work for, though? Yeah, he's absolutely hard to work for. Unbelievably demanding. But when you meet those demands? If you're you the... play for a national championship basically every year. Yep. It's. I mean, how, how many times have you heard... Nick Saban, talk about the process. 
mean, it's the, it's a process that is proven to work over and over and over and over again. Do they have the best players in the country? Of course they do. There are lots of teams, though, that have really good players. Um, Anthony says, don't leave out the fact that the strength and conditioning coach has left to go to the NFL. Hmm. It was a, a bit of a staff purge, but they all upgraded. Anthony says, after hearing what GMs and scouts said this week about the four players at the Senior Bowl from Mississippi State, he believes this could be the biggest loss of all. Um, it's fair. Yeah. It's, uh, it's certainly a big deal. 601-879-4395. Text line says Mississippi State offense wasn't very good, in particular at wide receiver position. Running back position wasn't great with the talent that State had. Hmm. Is it fair to say that State might be upgrading? I would disagree about the running backs not being great. I would just say that they were underutilized. They've got good backs, and they've got a good, really good back returning. And if they use him more in the running game and and force give him carries, you'll see that, I mean, he's a borderline elite running back. He just wasn't used enough. Kevin points out that Dan Enos left to be the offensive coordinator at Miami instead of being Alabama's offensive coordinator. Josh Gaddis went to Michigan to be the wide receivers coach. That those are lateral moves, not better moves. Yeah, there's exceptions to every rule. and I mean, this year does feel a little bit different, but generally... With few exceptions, Saban assistants upgrade their position after they're there under him. Well, and particularly coordinators have had a history of either jumping to the NFL or getting head coaching jobs. Doesn't always work out. And no, no two more high profile than Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt. But Jim McElwain, he left and went to Colorado State first and then got the Florida job, and then it kind of crashed and burned for him. But look, I mean, I go back to what I said a second ago. Alabama is the crown jewel of college football. We can all hate it. You can question how they're doing it or why they're doing it or whatever. But that's where they are until they're knocked off. And yes, I understand that Clemson won the national championship this year. I get that. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.